I, uh, I shared last week, we're in Ephesians, for those of you who may be visiting or new, we're, we're kind of going through Ephesians at a snail's pace here. Uh, we're in Ephesians 4, and I spent the last couple weeks in Ephesians 4, 20 through 21, uh, talking about learning Christ by faith. And I tried to make uh, three distinct but related points um, having to do with learning Christ. And specifically, as I said, learning Christ by faith. We're going to move on to the next three verses today, but I want to briefly review some of the things that I said in the last couple of weeks uh, because apart from uh, verses 21 and 22, apart from the reality of, of learning Christ in this way, then... Um, what we're going to get to today doesn't doesn't have any meaning at all. It's it's, it's completely uh, meaningless. In other in other words, we're we're getting to putting off the old man, putting on the new man, uh, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That 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 doesn't uh, mean anything at all apart from learning Christ by faith. So um, so I'm going to review just a minute or two. Um, if you can think back to just before Ephesians 4.20, Paul is talking about how the Ephesians did not... He's, he's telling them, I'm glad that you did not learn Christ in the futility of the mind. He's talking about the other Gentiles that, that walk in the futility of their own mind and having their, dark, their understanding dark, their hearts darkened and their understanding uh Darkened and and uh, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is within them, and and he says all that, and then he says, "But you did not learn Christ that way. You did not learn Christ in the futility of of of, of the mind, but rather." And then he says in verse twenty, "Rather, you have heard him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus." <clears throat> And as we said last week, this is the learning that the learning that comes by faith. And the the main three points that I tried to make last week were were these. Number one, um, all right. Well, number one is that we we have to learn Christ. We have to come to know Christ as the life of our soul. And that is really, I know this kind of sounds dogmatic and narrow-minded, but that's really the only way that you know Him. That's really the only way that you learn Christ. Knowing Christ is a participation in His life. Every other kind of knowing is a knowing about Him, knowing something external to yourself. But to truly know Christ is to experience Him as the life of the, of, of the believer, the life of the redeemed. It's a literal participation in Him, where the soul of man becomes aware of and filled with and constrained by His indwelling life. So that's the way that we, we need to know Him. And, and, and so then number two, the other, another point that I made, and, and it begs the question, how then do I learn Him as my life? What does that mean to learn Him as the life of the believer? The answer to that begins, first of all, by, by knowing, as a matter of fact, as a matter of just from plain old Scripture, everywhere you look in the New Testament, that, 
that he is, in fact, your life. He's the only life you have. Apart from him, there, you have a biological existence. You have, a, you have an eternal soul, but he is the life of that soul. And apart from him, you are dead in trespass and sin. Apart from him, Jesus would say to us, let the dead bury their dead. Uh, and though we may be, as Christians, uh, uh, ignorant of or unacquainted with the, uh, the life of God and the soul of man, it is nevertheless a reality. It's a reality that we must come to know. And so we're talking about learning something that's already true. We're talking about growing in the, the, the awareness and the reality of something that's already real. We have to learn Him, know Him, see Him, hear Him, by faith. Now remember, faith is not believing things about him. I say this like a broken record, I realize that, but we've heard it the other way around so many times, I think it does us some good. Faith is a spiritual faculty of the soul that perceives and knows and experiences and accesses the truth of God in Christ. It's not anything that you think, it's not anything that you believe. It doesn't it may cause you to think many things. It may cause you to believe many things, but faith is not your thinking or your believing. Faith is a spiritual view that is a far greater sense than any natural sense at all. Remember last week I talked about how all natural senses, uh, sight, hearing, taste, uh, smell, and touch, all of those things combined and, and multiplied are still nowhere close to the faculty of faith. Faith is the greatest kind of perception. It knows God in a pure and clear and real light. And the reason that most people think that sight is greater than faith is because we're just so unfamiliar with true faith. We just Faith to, to most of us, to me for most of my Christian life, is, is my beliefs. It's the things I believe about God. Whereas sight is the things I, I, I know to be true, but it, it couldn't be more, more contrary to the truth. I mean, that, that couldn't be more opposite. We want our faith to turn into sight. God wants our sight to give way to faith. Everything that we know with natural senses is outside of ourselves. We perceive things external to ourselves. And then, in order for us to internalize those things, we supply our own understanding to what we have observed through senses, and then we apply our own application. But faith is very different, and this was kind of the crux of what we were talking about last week. Faith is the beholding, first of all, of something that is within you. It's something that you have been joined to. 1 Corinthians 6.17 Those who have been joined to the Lord have become one spirit. So faith beholds this finished work of God. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 We are beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being changed from glory to glory. So first of all, faith sees something that is not outside of yourself but is rather something that is actually the very life within you. Second of all, true faith comes complete with understanding. What I mean by that is that seeing the seeing of faith is the understanding of the Lord. You can't separate the two. You don't come up with your own understanding. You actually, through faith, come to participate in His. Okay, and then the third thing is that 
the application is therefore made to you and not made by you. What faith beholds, it has its own impact on you. It doesn't leave you there to make the application. It doesn't leave you alive to need an application. It shows you Him who is your life and the truth just works, begins to work in you. It works in you, it works out of you, it works through you. The application is made to you by faith. So, uh, the, the third thing that I mentioned last week uh, was at the end, I just talked about how the reality is that faith is actually God's view. It's God's mind. God's perspective being given to you. It's, it's not just spiritual understanding. It is the Spirit's understanding. It's God's understanding. It is, as it says in Scripture ten times in the New Testament, it is the faith of the Son of God. It is God letting you into His light. It is God letting you into His perspective. That's what faith really is. So I was kind of trying to... to um, to establish, first of all, what the experience of faith is because, because unless we are being taught by God in this way, unless we are seeing, unless we are coming into a participation with His view and seeing, as it were, with His eyes and learning by His Spirit. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 last week, how no one knows uh, the, 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 the the thoughts of God, the deep things of God, except for the spirit that is within him, but that very spirit has been given to you. And so those deep things, those the guts, so to speak, of, of, of God, the heart of God is therefore revealed to us who have partaken of his spirit, shown to us. Well, I, I just can't, over, I can't overstate the importance of learning Christ in that way. I've said this before, I'll probably say it again, but the journey towards learning Christ doesn't begin when God shows you something that you didn't know about Jesus. The journey to knowing Christ begins when God shows you something you didn't know about knowing. First, God redefines in your heart what it even means to know Him. And then on that foundation, then you can grow up by faith and learn the Son who is your life. And it's only when we understand those fundamental things about faith that this next verse in Ephesians, having to do again with the renewing of the mind, that that comes to have any meaning, meaning at all because you, you, can't, you can't put off the old man or put on the new man unless you are learning Christ by faith. Let me put it this way. Unless you're learning Christ by faith, any putting off the old or putting on the new that you and I are going to be attempting is going to amount to works of the flesh. No matter how hard you try. So let me just read the, let me read the whole uh, five verses, five or six verses together, and then um, let's look at these, last, these next few verses. It says, verse, uh, four, chapter 4, verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, uh, your, your Bible might say by Him there, but the Greek word there is in. 
you have been taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Many Christians, I think, have dedicated their life to something that is impossible. There are so many people, people that I talk to, uh, people from my past, myself for most of my Christian life, who attempt to be transformed, attempt seek to, to be like Christ, try their hardest to break from sin, to break from, from patterns of living, See, all of, all of that striving is it's fruitless the way that we go about it because we're trying to escape evil with evil. We're trying to change the old man with the strength of the old man. And it doesn't do anything not not in the it's it's like i've compared it to holding a beach ball uh underwater you can kind of do it for a little while but as soon as you get bumped nature demands that it goes back to where it where it belongs that's the nature of the heart of man trying to change itself trying to trying to discipline itself into being something other than what it is. That's not a solution. That's a creation of unbelief. It's a creation of blindness. Colossians 2.20 says, Therefore, if you died with Christ, there it is again, from the, from the stoikion, the, the, the basic principles of the world, as though living in the world, why do you subject yourself to regulations like do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish, perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion and false humility and neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. The soul, the soul is only changed by the renewing of the mind. You can deaden the soul. I mean, there are religions, Buddhism in, in particular, that, uh, that has found ways to uh, more or less cut off the soul's attachment to the earth. But that hasn't changed it into anything different. There is only one way to change, and it is it works in us when there is genuine faith. It works in us. Transformation in your Bible is always in the same verse or the same sentence with this reality called the renewing of the mind. Why does renewing the mind transform the soul? That's what I want to. That's what I want to look at today in specific. We, and we've spoken about this on a number of occasions, but uh, uh, I think it's Peter that says, to uh, repeat myself is no trouble for me and it, it may be beneficial for you. So, uh, <clears throat> The renewing of the mind starts when we begin to learn Christ in the way that Paul has been describing. The renewing of the mind means nothing unless we are hearing him, being taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 
There is no renewing of the mind unless we are learning by faith. I know I keep saying that over and over again. I just want it to stick. See, if we're trying to learn Christ in any other way, then the renewing of the mind is meaningless and it's a foreign, it's a foreign concept. I've had more than one person tell me that the renewing of the mind comes through memorizing Scripture. I've had others tell me that, uh, that, that it involves learning to think with a biblical worldview. Uh, or adopting a Christian paradigm. Others equate it with purifying the mind from perverted thoughts or perverted images or past experiences. And I, 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 I you know, I'm kind of sorry to say it, but, but it's, it's only because we don't really know what it means to learn Christ by faith that we come up with those kinds of ideas. You see, when Christ begins to be shown to your soul by the Spirit of God, you immediately start becoming aware of two very distinct things. In the light of His appearing in the soul, in a a real, genuine beholding of Christ, there is always this division that, that, that begins to happen in, in your heart, in your soul, a division. There's, there's Christ on the one side, and then there is everything else on the other side. I'm not talking about believing this. I'm talking about beholding it. And, 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 and you see that you are part of the everything else. Now, I realize that by salvation, God has you joined to His Son, but when you see by faith, you realize that everything you are by nature is on the opposite side of Him, by nature. The side that contradicts Him in every conceivable way. I mean, it, it comes into view. I mean, it, it, it comes into view in, 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 a, in a brightness that um, is... is, is that's, it's hard to compare it to anything, I guess. When God shows you His Son by faith, before the eyes of your heart, there is a man that God has accepted. And on the other side, there is a man, a kind, a creation that God has put away. And you see the division. You see the... This is... This is uh, you know, you may not say it. You may not use the same language. You may not call it a division, but you recognize. You recognize it. Uh, you recognize the... Incredible wrongness of all of your ideas. You recognize the otherness of your nature. It hits you like a like a you know a sock with a brick in it across the face. I mean, it just whacks you hard. I don't know where I came up with that analogy, but you you see you acknowledge the deadness. The deadness of your own soul and the powerlessness of your efforts and the emptiness of your so-called wisdom and the and the self-love that motivates you and everything. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that seeing Christ is is it becomes in you an awareness of both light and darkness and this division that that um, that God has established between the two called the cross. Whenever I see the Lord, whenever I see the Lord with faith, there's a renewal and, and an increased realization of that division. It's never, it's never not there. It's always, it always strikes me. 
You can't really see Christ by faith without also becoming uncomfortably aware of all that is in Christ. Not, not unto condemnation. That's not what I'm talking about. Just awareness. As the one side grows in your understanding, so does the other. And that is necessarily the way it works because the knowledge of God is always a confrontation and a contradiction of the natural man. It's so important to understand this. You never see truth alongside one of your ideas. Faith will never complement the mind of man. In his light, you will never have one of your thoughts or one of your actions or one of your opinions vindicated, validated. I know that's offensive, and I'm not trying to be uh, offensive in any way. I'm just trying to say that the truth always dislodges and supplants our ideas. It's light and darkness. Light always challenges and opposes our opinions. They're divided by this chasm, a chasm called the cross. And faith, faith will always show you the, the, the difference. I know that there's, there's people that will object and say, Jason, how do you know that his light won't... How, how do you know that it will always contradict one of my ideas? What if, what if I happen to have guessed it correctly? What if, what if I figured it out before he showed me? But see, that's like, saying, that's like saying, Jason, how do you know that every single red crayon in this box is not blue? I mean, you haven't even seen them all. You don't know how many red crayons. I have thousands of red crayons in this box. Of all of these red crayons, I'm sure that there is a few of them that are blue. See, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. There's a divide between red and blue. They're contrary to each other. They're mutually exclusive. It's either red or it's blue, but it's not both. But see, Adam and Christ are like those two colors. The nature of Adam and the nature of Christ. And in the darkness of the unrenewed mind, we can confuse them. But see, light will always show you the difference. Light, you could confuse the two crayons in a very dark room. But light always shows you the difference. And faith, which is nothing other than the light of the Lord will always divide in you what is already already divided to God. Faith will separate in your heart what God has separated from Himself. And when faith begins to increase in your heart, you're stuck with a realization. It begins to hit you. It begins to... You see, on the one side... Uh, the side that you're on by nature, you see that it's not really getting any better. See, that side can't change. That side could never be anything more than what it is. You face that in the light. and you, Even as Paul says in this verse, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. You notice that he didn't say the old man which grew corrupt or the old man which used to be corrupt. No, that man, that kind, it's just the wrong man. It's just the wrong kind. And you understand by faith, you can see that your only hope for transformation is not to change that side, but to escape it. 
Your only hope for transformation is to be completely and utter, utterly liberated from all of that and to be put into and filled with and clothed in the man on the other side. In the dark, all of that sounds like theology. I realize that. People tell me a lot that I sound like I'm talking about um, ideas and doctrines and theology. I, I'm not. I what, what sounds like theology in, in the dark is a clear and overwhelming reality when faith comes. Adam, that man, that kind, cannot be changed. He must be circumcised from the soul. God is not after a forgiven Adam. That man must be put off and Christ put on, a new man, a new kind. And that is what I think we so often misunderstand in the church today. That's why we dedicate our lives to things that are hopeless. The body of Christ comes up with countless thousands of ways and steps and secrets and keys to transforming the natural man. And yet that man cannot change. We have sought to teach him, to train him, to disciple him, to scold him, to punish him, to empower him, to motivate him, to be something different than he is, to do something different than he has always done. But all of those attempts, those plans, those steps and keys and motivational speeches, they only make sense in the dark. A self-help program won't turn a red crayon blue. But generally speaking, we don't really want to understand that, and that's why we don't. It's you know we're kind of like um, sorry, I was going to say cockroaches. When you turn on the light, they kind of scatter. That's a, that's a that's a mean that's a bad analogy, but it popped in my head. You know we don't like the light though. You know it it, it might inter you know don't turn on the light, please. It might interrupt my uh, self improvement program. It might ruin the thought that I'm actually getting better. Don't turn on the light of faith because what I might see in the light would threaten my ideas about my purpose or about my growth or transformation or about serving God. It's like I'd, it's like I'd rather keep guessing and failing in the darkness than face this division in the light. A division that will always say, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. It's amazing what we'll do to try to change the natural man. I mean, there are literal spiritual boot camps for Christians trying to teach young believers how to be like Paul. You know, we'll, we'll do anything. We'll march around a city doing spiritual warfare. We'll pray and fast for days and weeks on end. We'll follow leaders and movements around the world hoping that some of the anointing will rub off on us. We'll pay for classes and programs and books conferences, we'll punish our flesh through discipline and penance, we'll motivate our flesh through various emotional means or any other kind of means, and those are just a few of the sorts of things we do in the name of trying to know God, but we will rarely stand still and see the division between the living and the dead. I believe that faith is uncommon because true faith is a threat to the natural man. 
what I'm trying to say is simply that true faith, and I'm, I'm tying this, this is all has to do with this verse in Ephesians here. I'm going to bring it, bring it back in here in a second, but I, it's important that we understand this division. I, I'm trying to say that true faith brings you face to face with this division. It's a judgment. A judgment. Not, not, you know, a judgment isn't a punishment. A judgment is a division. A division between two things. It's a sword that cuts between two men, two worlds, two kinds. First of all, when you see that division, it just shocks you. You had no idea that Christ was so other than man. I mean, you may have repeated those words a million times, but you'd never seen it until the coming of faith. And so at first you're just surprised. You're surprised. Even though you may have agreed that Christ and man are two different kinds, suddenly in the light of, of life you can see that your life stands in contradiction to this man. And as you stand there and you stare at that division, the realization begins to work in you that spiritual growth this is what you have to face. Spiritual growth is never going to be the transformation of me. What I mean is that Adam will never change. I cannot do better. I cannot be better. And you realize that what needs to happen is that one man must be destroyed. One man must come to an end and the other gained. Your soul must cease to be found in one and must come to be found in the other. You, you start to understand that, 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 that one has to decrease. The other must increase. Otherwise, all the effort in the world is going to be futile. All the effort in the world is not going to change a thing. I remember the day. I remember, I remember the day when that reality smacked my heart, like a like a semi hitting a deer or something. You know, it's another strange analogy, but it hit me with such a force, and I knew that my life had been an attempt to blend together what God had forever separated. Whereas before, I had all kinds of questions I wanted to ask God, all kinds of things I just needed answers for. When I began to see a little bit by faith, there was really just one question, one question that I needed to answer. How can I put off what I am? How can I put on what I could never be? How do I die to myself? How can I live to God in Christ? See, these, these questions suddenly became the only relevant questions. It's no longer, how can I change? It's no longer, how can I make God accept me? It's not, what are the keys to being a good Christian? What would Jesus do? See, very quickly, all of that becomes empty and ridiculous in the light of faith. And the question that remains is simple. How can one man be put off and another man be put on? Well, the answer to that question, it, it, it's almost too wonderful for us to accept. It's like, um, it just popped in my head. You know, remember who was it? Uh, Haman? Is it? No, that wasn't Haman. Uh, Naaman. Isn't Naaman the leper that came, Jimmy? Old Testament scholar? Naaman. Uh, 
Naaman the leper that came and, and uh, he was told just to wash in the Jordan and he'd be clean and he said, I, I thought that the prophet would make me do this and that and this and that. and It's too easy. That's kind of like how it is with us. The answer is too outstanding. The answer is too beautiful. Gracious in the truest sense of the word for us to accept. We don't usually believe it. We, we usually fight against it and want to add to it because it's too good to be true. The answer is that God has, through the cross, translated you already out from one man and into another. The fact is, as Corinthians says, of God you are in Christ Jesus. The, trance is, the, trance, the, the, the fact is that God has translated you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the Son of His love. The truth is that by the work of His Son, the acceptance of faith that you are dead to the one as a matter of fact. And you will always see that to be the case in the New Testament. You are alive to the other as a matter of fact. You are dead to sin. You are accepted in the beloved. You are buried with him. You are raised with him. You are seated in him. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul exclaims, Do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too should walk in the newness of life. Well, these statements are all the truth regarding us who are born of God's Spirit. These statements are not future experiences. They are present and eternal realities. This is the finished work of God in Christ. And only one thing, only one thing is necessary for you and I to live accordingly, for you and I to experience what God has done, for you and I to walk in the good of what God has freely given to us in His Son. Only one thing is needed if you want to experience, not just have salvation, but experience salvation. You could say it a number of different ways. There's a lot of ways to say it, but it's just one thing. We need an experience in the spirit of our mind that corresponds to what God has already accomplished in our soul. Or you could say we need to realize we need our realization to catch up with God's finished work. Or we or you could say we need faith to apprehend what God has finished in the cross. Or you could say that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's what Paul says in this verse. Not our brain. Paul's Paul specifically says the spirit of our mind in, in, in the verse today because he's He's talking about the soul's spiritual comprehension here, not, not an intellectual comprehension. All that God could ever do for you and to you with respect to salvation has been done. And what remains is for you and I to learn Him and be taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. God, having accomplished all things of salvation in and through Jesus Christ, leaves only one thing for you and I. We must know the truth as He has accomplished it in His Son. We must face reality in the light of faith. We must face it in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4. And, and this will have its automatic and necessary effect on us because it's showing us what, it's real, what, what is already real. Learning Him 
See, learning Him will be, without any question, it will be the end of what God has put away. It will be the experience of what God has established. Learning Christ will not just be Bible verses and good ideas and good deeds. It will be putting away, putting off one man. It will be putting on and being found in another man. That's the transformation of the soul. Not a behavior change. Of course, it does affect behavior, but it's not, it's not a, a behavior modification plan for the Adamic man. It's not a worldview change. It's, not, it's a change of life. It's the end of one and the increase of another. When faith brings God's reality into view, then, then that reality impacts you with all of the weight and strength of absolute objective truth. If you're living according to your senses, you could deny it, you could hide from it, you could disagree with it. But the moment you begin to see by faith, which is a much brighter and purer faculty, it can't be denied. It's right there in front of you. It's right there in your face. And what remains then is for you to forget that which is behind and lay hold of that which is before. Truth is... Truth becomes in you a force to be reckoned with. And your soul cannot see very much without having to, uh, to align with it. Your soul can't stand contrary to it in the light. Not after you see by faith. I'm not trying to sound clever or poetic in saying this. I'm just trying to get something said. Though all men stand, may, may stand you know, opposed to it, God's finished work in Christ stands complete. And so long as you and I pretend to know it according to senses, to the natural mind, through sight, with the eyes, hearing, words, faculties of the, of the carnal mind, we can, we can walk around untouched by it. We can walk around in the blindness of, 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 of uh, our own imaginations. We can... We can We can talk about silly ideas like, like changing the Adamic man without even realizing that it's nonsense. We can do that in the darkness. But when faith comes and we see what God has done, and the more that light shines into our soul, it removes from us the man who is the lie. It cuts him from our soul. It circumcises us. It's, it's a Colossians 2.11. The, the circumcision not made with hands, but the removal of the entire body of flesh through the circumcision of Christ. And it leaves the man who is the truth. It leaves the truth exalted and established in us. What God has judged and put away is put off from us. What God has finished and exalted becomes what we know and come, becomes what we experience and abide in. See, this is what Paul's describing in Ephesians chapter 4 here. He's talking about learning Christ by faith, hearing Him, being taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. And he's talking about the effect that this kind of learning, this kind of seeing and knowing has on the soul. It has this effect. It has the effect 
that it completes in you what the cross completed a long time ago. It has the effect that it puts off from you what the cross put away a long time ago. It has the effect that one man, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin and death, that man is put away, put off. Put off. And another man, the new, is put on. And the life that you now live is not not the old improved. It's not the old strengthened. It's not the old empowered. It's not the old instructed. It's not the old discipled or motivated. It's the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's that man which came up from the from the dead as the life of his body. It's one new man, both Jew and Gentile, yet neither Jew nor Gentile because it is Christ all and in all. I just want to read, we'll just, we'll just close by reading, if I can find it, just reading the verse again. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former way of life the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We'll stop with that. Let's pray. Father, I just ask again that just that you would uh, you would cause us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. You would cause us to learn your Son as our life by faith, as you say in Colossians. You have uh, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And whenever Christ, your life is revealed, then you are revealed. Whenever Christ, our life, is revealed, then we are revealed, Lord. Father, I ask that in the revealing of, of, of your finished work in us, in, in this body, Lord, in our souls, there would be the putting off of what you have put away. And there would be the putting on and being found in what you have established, what you have given, that we would come to know the things that have been freely given to us by God that we would abide in that reality, that we would live by that life, that we would know that truth, experience that Son. Father, I ask that these words of Paul in Ephesians 4 would, uh, oh Lord, let them be more than words. Let them be more than ideas, doctrines, things we believe in. Let them be an experience of faith, the awakening of the soul to the reality that God has completed in His Son. For those of us who have been born of your Spirit, let it be, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.